Welcome back to episode 78 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded July 26, 2020. My name is Ian, and I live on Vancouver Island. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, and my farm's designated handyman. And I'm Hughes from Nova Scotia. I'm a Canadian Canadian Armed Forces veteran, volunteer firefighter, and station chief. Also a volunteer search and rescue technician and prepper. Um, I've been preaching and living the prepper lifestyle to varying degrees for the last six years or so, and this was born out of necessity to ensure the long-term and short-term survival of my family, which includes three young children. All right. Want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air? Buy a Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt at rapidsurvival.com. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, uh, or if it's just a topic you want us to cover, you can also email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, we got some insulated content for you this episode. We're going to start off with some preparedness-related news. Next, we'll let you know what we did for preparedness since our last episode, then we'll get to the main topic, which tonight is shelters uh, in regards to preparedness. So news time. Uh, Spain's second wave. So, of course, they talked about these dreaded second waves in the media and, you know, the kind of hype and the living daylights out of it. Um, yeah, so was, uh, Spain is the first country to really see a, a giant resurgence in cases. So uh, I decided to put a little note in there in the uh, the show notes. Uh, basically, just going back up to the way they were before. Yeah, that sucks. That's, uh, you know, I think we figure it's going to come uh, in Canada, at least. I think uh, they're saying the fall is going to bring on a second wave, um, but that's going to be marked by, you know, the seasonal flu and cold as well, right? So the problem is it's going to be hard to determine what is COVID and what isn't unless you go get tested because, you know, come fall, everyone's got the sniffles and sore throat and stuff like that. So that's going to be interesting. Well, the other thing that got me, too, is the fact that I thought uh, this was supposed to be a cold weather disease and everything else. And they said, well, you know, once it gets hot, it won't be a problem. Well, I, I don't think Spain is cold in July. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't know if that was a myth or if they debunked it. But a lot of people were, were expecting, you know, at least for the states, um, that the warmer weather in the southern states, like I'm talking like Arizona, Texas and Florida, where they're being pretty, you know, they're being hit pretty hard right now where they're seeing over 10,000 cases a day. Uh, I think the deaths have topped uh, over 1,000 a day for the last four or five days in a row. So, um, you know, they're not into their second wave. They're not out of the first wave yet. So, be interesting to see. No, exactly. Uh, next article I had was uh, kind of funny, kind of not funny. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Antifa guy brought a gun to a gunfight and he lost. So, I guess there was a uh, Antifa protest going on in Austin for quite a while. This guy was open carrying an AK, which is fine, and you're perfectly allowed to do that in Texas. Yeah. But I guess uh, there's, I've actually got a couple pictures I found uh, where the guy's actually pointing the AK at the driver in this car that got stopped by the crowd. So the guy pulled out. He was also in Texas. He's also concealed carrying. So he brought out, pulled out a gun and shot the guy dead. And of course, now it's like a he said, she said thing of who, who drew first. It's kind of like, you know, Han Solo and uh, Greedo there. But um, yeah. Will be interesting to see what comes out of it, but uh, things are starting to escalate a little bit with these protests. It will be, but I mean, if that guy was walking around AK forty-seven, the moment he raised it, he became a threat, right? So, oh, absolutely. So, no charges being uh, leveled against the driver. So that should tell you something. Sounds like self-defense, but yeah, we'll see if the DA decides otherwise. I guess, but yeah. Uh, so for me, just one article, uh, provinces, so the uh, province of Nova Scotia um, on Canada's east coast announces mandatory masks in indoor pu- public places. Um, so this is interesting, at least for, for us, for two reasons. One being that 
a couple months prior to this, the chief uh, medical officer for the province stated that masks um, are not necessary. Um, they don't they don't do much, um, and that they were recommending against people wearing them in public. Um, and now, although we haven't had a case uh, a COVID case for 11 straight days now in the province of Nova Scotia, they are making masks mandatory for indoor public places effective July 31st. That includes restaurants, bars, um, and basically shopping malls, anything. Um, so they're going to become uh, mandatory now. It's not just something that the, the store can ask you to do. It's something that's being mandated by the province. Uh, it's getting put into law. And you're seeing some mixed... Um, some mixed feedback, of course. Uh, some people are saying, well, I'm just not going to go to restaurants if I have to wear a mask. So, you know, um, the service industry who's already struggling uh, in most parts of the world is going to be hit even harder uh, because of this, because a lot of people are saying, well, I'm not going to go to a restaurant if I have to wear a mask. I'm just going to go back to ordering out or groceries or whatnot. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting that, you know, after no cases for almost two weeks again, uh, now they're in introducing this. I think they're doing it in anticipation of a second wave that's going to hit us and also the fact that they're opening up uh, the provincial borders to the rest of Canada. So, Well, interesting too, like the uh, infamous e makes a comment here about how forced masks are starting in Calgary on August 1st as well. Um, but yeah, there's other factors in play, like a lot of these people have underlying conditions like the obesity panic, uh, pandemic he mentions, uh, a lot of diabetics, a lot of old people and everything else. But the thing is, yeah, if you look at the graph of all these cases that have been going on, I mean, like, we're, we're definitely at the small end of the graph, and now they're doing masks. Right. Like, and the best part is, like, they announced, what, two weeks ago they're going to do masks August 1st. If it was such a serious health concern, they should have done it the next day, yeah. not in two weeks, you know. So yeah. I kind of laugh. Seeing, you know, you're seeing comments to the effect of, you know, that's, that's like, you know, deciding to wear a condom after you've conceived the child. It's, you, you know, like, what's, what's the point? I mean, we're, we're, we're not out of the pandemic worldwide we're, we're we're definitely not but places like on canada's east coast where we've gone you know we had we're basically haven't had a case except for one blip for almost five weeks now and now we're deciding to wear masks yeah anyways yeah it's almost like to bring a condom to the baby shower at this point yeah exactly right <laughs> so, uh yeah so al i guess decided to play hooky so he's up in algonquin park he said to say hi to everybody so uh hope you're enjoying yourself there al Enjoying some wilderness, at least. Maybe he's making a shelter. I don't know. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so other than that, uh, let's see here. I guess we can move on to uh, what we've done in preps. Yeah, so I was long overdue for rotating my COVID food stocks. And what that was, I, I think I spoke about it in an earlier podcast, probably in March or April, but uh, right before COVID hit. I mean, I already had my regular pantry. I had my prepper pantry, and then I kind of stocked up. I was one of these people that stocked up on food um, prior to uh, COVID really hitting and, um, you know, stores putting restrictions on how much you can buy of certain items. Um, so I kind of went through those stocks, which are uh, quite large, um, and I started looking at best before and all that kind of stuff. And there were some items that were close to the best before, you know, um, so I kind of rotated those out. Um, I made note of, you know, what I had of everything, um, kind of made note of the best before days for everything so I can make sure that I appropriately rotate those into my main pantry. Um, and I also did an inventory of medical supplies and topped up on essentials, gloves, masks, um, sanitizer, uh, since a lot of places, a lot of stores at least, are kind of back in stock with those things. Um, good to do it now before the second wave hits 
hits, so to speak. And of course, if a second wave hits, you're going to see another, I would expect you're going to see another run on, you know, food items and safety items and all that kind of stuff. So, and toilet paper. And toilet paper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've actually still got quite a bit of that from pre COVID. So, um, yeah, I haven't gone through as much as I thought I would. You know, it's kind of funny, actually. We still haven't gone for a toilet, for a toilet paper run since before COVID even started. So it's actually, uh, so we're still still surfing. I don't know what we had before, but that's uh, the same with me. Between Costco and the grocery store, I stocked up, um, and I haven't bought some since March, and I still have quite a bit. So make make fun of me all you want, but I've been having to buy twelve toilet paper in five months, guys. So yeah, yeah. that's right. No, it's uh, I mean, it's at least something you'll eventually use too. So there you go. Well, that's the thing. It's something that's you know, it's it's not going to go bad. I'm going to use it anyway. Um, so it's, it's not going to go to waste. Right. So, yeah, as for myself, uh, see here, I did a little bit of reloading, uh, actually I've been kind of neglecting it, but now it's, it's so hot out. It's, uh, well, hot for us 31 with the, uh, the humidity on the West coast, which is pretty crazy. Um, so during the heat of the day, it's like, you know, only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noonday sun. So I decided to do some reloading in the middle of the day, uh, rather than sitting on the blazing sun. Um, other than that, we've just been continuing on with the house pimping, trying to make it uh, pretty for the sale. Got another realtor coming tomorrow to see what's going on as far as house prices go. Um, did a couple CGN deals. Uh, and as a matter of fact, thanks to one of those CGN deals, I will have a guy that's coming in on to do some solar chats with us, uh, which is good because I managed to meet him through CGN. Um, awesome. So you can expect him in August. And let's see here. I uh, did some uh, topping up the chicken feed just because that is one thing that has run low since COVID. I haven't really shopped for chicken feed since about late March. So I had to top that up. Uh, let's see here. Converting one coop over to a garden, um, as well as the actual building itself. The old coop is being converted to a storage shed, which again leads to like a naturally occurring inventory as well, but just on a minor scale of what we're putting in there and everything else. Just to update it because some of the stuff was a little bit inaccurate. Okay. So um, that works out well. And uh, yeah, just uh, and now because of all that um, the chicken run that was there, it's been idle for about a year. So now all that chicken poop that was there is now turned into usable soil. Okay. So that's good. Yeah. So I'm hoping to plant some stuff there, probably late fall, that is uh, perennial stuff. And we'll see what happens. I also have some, uh, some seeds uh, to plant that may or may not be barter items, if that's fair. <laughs> Anyway, uh, moving along, uh, time for the main topic, I guess. Um, so, you know what, actually, I'll let you take the lead here for, for now, and I'll, uh, I'll chip in when I can. Yeah, so I just made some notes uh, in the show notes here. So I think when it comes to shelter, obviously, I think we're talking about a survival situation. Um, so to me, the most important piece is going to be, the, you know, your situation, your circumstances are going to dictate what type of shelter that you're going to build. So are you by yourself? Are you with others? Uh, what's the weather? I mean, is it is it winter? Um, is it summer? Um, some places in North North America don't really have the benefit of having seasons. We here in Canada do. So um, I'm going to build a different shelter in January than I will build in June. Um, so again, it comes down to your situation, your circumstances. Um, you know, if it's something where, you know, it's it's 11 o'clock at night and I know I'm going to be bucking out at first light, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the shelter. I just want something to keep myself out of the elements. Um, but if I know I'm going to be staying put for, you know, a few days or a few weeks even, uh, I'm going to put a lot more thought into the shelter. Um, so I think that's my first thing is just is just kind of being aware of what your situation is, uh, what the circumstances are, who's with you, um, what are the elements um, that you're trying to protect against. So that's kind of the first thing. Um, the second thing to me would be learn shelter basics. So, I mean, I think everyone knows what a 
a lean to looks like, right? Um, that's one of the most common shelters. But um, I mean, I remember there's a there's a chart that was going around on Facebook where with one tarp you can make like 25 different types of shelters, and some are a little more extravagant than others. Some use some of the natural um, elements in the forest, like you would have, you know, spruce boughs and and branches and all that. Some deadfall, um, so you can use those. So just just learning the basic types of shelters um, that exist out there, because um, there's more than one, obviously. Go out and practice make, making them, um, making the different types of shelters. Use basic supplies um, or use whatever that, that fall you can find. And when I mean basic supplies, I mean whatever you would have in a get-home bag or a bug-out bag. And typically, both of my bags include like a tarp, um, some paracord, um, some really long nails, like I'm talking like three or four inches, um, as well as like a hatchet or an axe or even like a Stanley Fubar, which is like a four-in-one four or five-in-one tool. Um, so something to draw drive those those nails and, and between those basic supplies and what I could find in the forest um, I've got enough know-how and enough supplies to make a decent shelter that's going to last me whether it's only one night or a few days or even a few weeks if I had to right well yeah especially those tarps that you get can tire on sale when they go on sale like for five bucks a pop or whatever they're basically disposable right like almost single use yeah but they are windproof they're waterproof and like you said Throw in a couple uh, bits of paracord, a couple nails, and before you know it, you can make a pretty pretty elaborate shelter with a couple of good tarps, right? Yeah, and I think um, you know those tarps that are Canadian Tire or Walmart or wherever you can get them for uh, Canadian Tire here in Canada has really really good deals on them. Like they'll go on sale for like sixty percent off, right? Um, which is a joke. Um, and you don't really need a big tarp to make a shelter. Like a six by eight um, is plenty. Um, and the nice thing about the six by eights is that you can get them where they're doubled up. Um, so I wouldn't call it insulated, but they're doubled up on the fabric. Um, and also they have grommets um, on each one of the corners and along the seams. Um, so obviously if you're using paracord to tie down, the grommets are awesome. If you can't, you can just, I mean, if it doesn't have the grommets, you can use an old trick of using like a rock or a pebble. Um, and you kind of make a button out of that with your paracord. And then you can use that to uh, tie down your tarp. But it's definitely worth spending the extra few bucks, especially if you're going to be putting this in your bug out bag or your get home bag um, to get the one that has the grommets built into it already. It's going to save you some time as well. Um, well, that, yeah. uh, I was going to say that the grommets too, like uh, if you get those grommets set up properly with the um, the paracord, you actually turn it into a water collection facility as well. Like if you, uh, yeah. if you angle it the right way and so it does double duty as well, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and typically these, these tarps, I mean, their weak point is that if they're flapping, um, that's typically where they're going to get um, damaged and that's when they're going to start to fray in that area. So making sure that they're well tied down, that you don't have one area that keeps flapping in the wind, um, that's a good way to keep it um, in good shape for a, little, for, for a while there. Um, another thing is when it comes to learning shelter basics, um, you know, obviously in your get home bag, your, your bug, bug out bag, having a survival guide or survival book or like printing and laminating a sheet showing the different types of shelters, like a cheat sheet almost. Um, again, depending on the situation that you're in, you could be under a lot of stress and trying to remember how to make a proper shelter, uh, or different types of shelter you can make based on, um, what you have available to you, this, this cheat sheet could, could really help you along in alleviating that stress and being able to make a proper shelter uh, based on what you have. No, absolutely. I mean, I think um, that, <clears throat> yeah, sorry. Sorry. I was going to say like, I think the main thing with a lot of these shelters too, is that, you know, when it all boils down to it, you're trying to insulate yourself from air and water. So whether it be wind, cold air or uh, rain in the form or water on the ground, uh, those are the big things that are going to like damage you, like as far as uh, body temperature wise and everything else. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, the tarp is like 
you know, heaven sent type of thing, but also to keep yourself off the ground. Uh, like you said, stress is a, is a problem. Uh, when you're cold and stressed, it's, it's a bigger problem. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of these shelters, the main thing is just to avoid the heat loss more than anything else. Yeah, that's a really good point to to be off the ground as well, right? So, I mean, um, one of my notes I had here was to use things like spruce boughs, which make uh, for a really good ground cover, um, creates gives you like an insulating factor in winter on top of the snow. Um, but if you can get up and off the ground, um, if you have time to, you know, use dead deadfalls or sticks to kind of make like a makeshift cot to get off the ground, that's that's going to be a huge deal as well to make sure that your stuff is not damp and cold and all that kind of stuff. Um, use existing shelter if possible. So depending on your circumstances, um, you know, if you are in the woods, you come across an abandoned cabin, or I know that some places in Canada along some trails have actually built some emergency shelters, emergency ca- cabins, obviously use that, use those shelters if you can, um, depending on, you know, again, what situation that, that you're in, um, you could use any type of abandoned structure, any type of, you know, buildings without being destructive, obviously, um, any type of shelter, um, well, yeah, because I mean, as you know, like, just like yourself, like hiking around, you'll come across all sorts of abandoned trailers, shelters, whatever. I can't think of one yet that I've seen that wouldn't be better, like, you know, you'd be better off using it than actually sitting out in the open. Because even blocking the wind or, or keeping the rain off and everything else, no matter what it is, chances are it's probably better than nothing. Right. So <laughs> if, you don't have, if you don't have anything on you, I mean, yeah, use what you got for sure. And it's not just uh, like man, man-made structures, but I mean, if you come across, you know, a cave entrance or if you come across, um, you know, a tree that's fallen. Uh, I know here in Nova Scotia, the bedrock is quite close to the ground or quite, I mean, we're basically on, on, on bedrock. So a lot of places, the trees don't actually, the, the roots don't go deep. They just go wide. And when the trees fall over, you have these, these naturally occurring tree caves that are like 8, 12, 14 feet in diameter. Um, so you can use those to, to kind of begin your, shel- your, sh- your, sh- your sh- shelter and use, use a tarp to add some level of protection, use some spruce boughs to add some insulation. But definitely look around, look at your surroundings, see if, see if there's anything that you could use in as, as an existing shelter, which is going to help you conserve energy. Um, you know, it's going to mean that you, you can focus your, your time on other tasks. Like if you have to build a fire, if you have to get some food into you, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take away from, from that stuff, right? So... Well, yeah, because, I mean, like you said, uh, you're going to handle stress a lot more easily if you're not freezing your balls off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, actually, it's yeah, a good point. Uh, Woodpedal brought up uh, maybe a cheat sheet for knots because uh, you can never remember helpful knots. I mean, as you're trying to tie up that tarp and keep it off, like uh, either keep the rain water collection going or keep the, um, the stuff down for the wind. I mean, yeah, a useful knot beyond the reef knot is going to be more than handy because sometimes a lot of the stuff I used to tie up at the campsites it'd loosen up with time or it'd loosen up with a stiff wind or whatever too. So that's a good point to, to have a cheat sheet handy. Yeah. When it comes to knots, I mean, you know, the old, the old adage is if you can't tie knots, tie it, tie lots. And that's fine if you have to do it, but I like to have the ability to tie a lot that I can quickly undo. So I'm not wasting my paracord or having to cut the paracord. Um, you know, although I bring, you know, probably 200 feet of it, um, I'd rather not waste it because I, I don't know when I'm going to need that again. And once you once you cut it, you fray it, so you have to, you know, tie a knot at the end, you have to burn it. Um, but yeah, having having a, a guide or a cheat sheet to knots, and I mean, you don't have to make it a full page, you can make it half a page, you can shrink it down, you know, if you're going to have, um, you know, a cheat sheet for shelters on one side, you can have a cheat sheet for knots on the other side, you, you laminate that, put, put that in your bag, it's not going to out really any weight so it's not going to take up any room um and at least you have those visual reference indicators as to you know what what you can what type of shelter you can make what kind of knot you can make as well so for sure 
Yeah, uh, Claire brings up a good point. Uh, she says, I uh, should have gotten to the show notes. Your clothing is your first shelter. So look for natural windbreaks and overhangs and improve upon them. Aluminum tent pangs are also a godsend. So, yeah, a couple of things there to unpack. Like, I mean, obviously, uh, wool clothing, uh, stuff that's uh, windproof, that's going to help. Uh, overhangs and, like, uh, whether it be, like, the, the tree co- or snow-covered tree that's got the little indent at the bottom, as long as you don't knock the tree and cover yourself in snow, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> or the, uh, the tree that's been knocked over and it's got that root ball hanging up and you can turn that into a tarp uh, with a tarp to a decent shelter. And then, yeah, the aluminum tent bags to go through rocky soil, that's, that's huge, too. Yeah. Um, other notes I had here is, uh, believe, be flexible, use what you have, scrounge for material. So obviously, um, if you're in a situation like a survival situation, obviously you're, you're going to try to make the most of, out of the gear that you have, whether you were out hiking and you got lost or whether you're in a sur- you know, survival situation, you've got your get home bag, your bug out bag, there should be enough material in there that you've pre-planned for shelter. Cause that's one of the first things that you want to plan for is shelter. Um, so, you know, being able to use those materials, but be flexible, use what you have around you. This goes back to having the ability to use existing shelters, um, having the ability to scrounge up for materials. I mean, if you watch survival shows like Alone uh, or Les Stroud, uh, Survivor Man, you could see that he was always looking to make shelters out of um, stuff that he came across. And that's all fair game, right, in these shows is whatever you come across within the wilderness, whether it's discarded trash or a man-made shelter or anything, you can use that. Um, I remember there was even one episode where um, of Survivor survivor man where it was basically a mock plane crash um and he was basically using items from within the plane um as shelter um and he was even using like the batteries to start a fire fuels from within the wings to light the fire and all that kind of stuff so there's a lot of things that you can use um you know from things that you come across like you're probably not going to come across a plane crash hopefully but if you think about it i mean you could use the seat cushions as a pillow um you can use them for insulation just just think about the various ways that you can make use of what you come across whether it's trash or even just stuff that's been abandoned right especially everything is on on a plane it's usually plastic nowadays so it's gonna be waterproof <laughs> but uh, Claire, Claire brought up a good point as well, like uh, talking about the W's. Um, I was actually mentioned under the rule of threes that you know, like you know, three days without uh, um, uh, water and everything else. But yeah, three hours without shelter generally in bad weather. I mean, that's before you have to start worrying about hypothermia. But she mentions the uh, the W's, which is uh, wind, water, wigglies, and widow makers. So yeah, some shelters may have uh, bug infestations, but you know, being out of the wind and water is huge too, right? Yep. And that's a, that's a good point, especially when it comes to winter. I mean, um, you know, if you try to do any tasks and you have to take off your gloves or your mittens, you know, if it's minus 10, minus 15 Celsius, um, and you add the element of the wind on top of that, that's going to make it a lot worse. So if you can remove yourself or remove yourself from the elements um, and not, not have the wind come into effect um, and, you know, freeze your hands and, you know, reduce your ability to start a fire. And then especially if you're talking about winter, you might be talking about, you know, rain and snow and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's really my first, my first thing is to find a place where I can get some shelter. Um, you know, I can start drawing stuff out if I need to. I'm not, I'm not exposed to the elements, um, which is, which is what I'm looking for. So yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be a game changer for sure. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny. I think I told the story before on the podcast, but I was doing a survival camp back in college and uh, I thought it was going to be super cool by having the, uh, the hammock up above the ground. Yeah. But I forgot to mention the aspect of the wind going underneath my buttocks type of thing. So <laughs> I didn't have any blankets on the bottom end. And before you don't know how much I wrapped up, it wasn't enough. I was just losing too much heat. So was, uh, even though it was off the ground, it was actually I was better off being under a shelter that uh, that actually had some, I guess, a better wind protection more than anything else. But 
Now, I've never slept in a hammock. Um, I know quite a few of my friends that do, um, you know, wilderness kind of camping and, and bushcraft and all that kind of stuff use hammocks. But I guess you could probably just use like a really lightweight sleeping pad, sleeping pad within the hammock, I guess. Or Well, a, a, maybe a foam sleeping pad would be a good idea. I just had like a really, like a really tiny little string hammock that was like fit up into my fist. Oh, okay. And it would expand out. And so it's basically just netting. And so, yeah, if I would have had the wherewithal, I probably would have brought a space blanket or something to put on the bottom of it just to like break the wind a little bit and then had a couple blankets underneath but it was supposed to be everything you could fit in a backpack so i was kind of cheating by bringing this little tiny hammock with me and then uh i wasn't so smart after all anyways <laughs> even better off with the tarp but uh yeah so you mentioned uh, uh tends to buildings to campers anything you find for a shelter but what they just want to mention to the listeners for uh, a basic type of shelter to practice is the uh, the brush pile shelter so it's like you know survivalism 101 you'll see it on every survival show going uh and every book going is basically we're just taking a couple sticks make a make a 90 degree with it take a third pole and it almost looks like a bivy bag. Yeah. But basically you just uh, try and pile up some bigger sticks along the, the, the support pole there and then pile as much leaves, uh, pine boughs, anything you can find on top of it, thicker, the better. Like you, you got two or three feet worth of stuff on top of this brush pile shelter. So you basically made yourself a beaver lodge and, uh, it turns out to be waterproof and fairly well insulated. And as long as you keep yourself off the direct ground, um, you can do fairly well in those things. It, it only takes like maybe an hour to set up if you really had to. Yeah. Um, and you don't require any tools. Like if you actually do it correctly, you won't need much other than maybe just a zip tie, maybe a little bit of string to tie a couple of sticks together. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. And if you think too, like, I mean, building this under a tree, I mean, if you look at the amount of um, protection a tree affords against rain, right. I mean, you could, you could stand under a tree when it's raining pretty hard even and really not get all that wet. So building your shelter under that tree to your point, um, you know, if you have two or three feet of material stacked up on top of these, these, these pieces of wood, it's virtually going to be uh, waterproof. And, and to your point as well, I mean, those two or three feet of, um, you know, brush are going to be fairly well insulated. <laughs> insulating as well so yeah so i think a, you know, a couple like a tarp and a couple space blankets in your bag uh probably a solid choice um also consider if you want your shelter to be visible um or camouflage depending on the situation that you're in so obviously if i'm a lost hiker and um i'm expecting um search and rescue to come for me at any point i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm trying to i'm gonna try to not make my shelter or a camouflage um so consider i mean if you know if you're gonna be packing a tarp um, I've seen some tarps that are actually camel on one side and orange on the other side. So that's probably not a bad idea because obviously one's going to be easier to hide uh, from aerial um, aircraft and helicopters and all that kind of stuff. And the orange one is going to be quite visible. Um, so I guess depending on your situation, I mean, if you're trying to hide from someone or if you're a lost hiker and you actually need help, um, trying to make your shelter in a more visible spot uh, might, might be the best way to go rather than you know, thicken the brush, I guess. Well, yeah, like most of the Coughlin's like pre-made, like, you know, uh, heavy, heavy duty plastic shelters, whatever are bright orange. The Canadian entire uh, tarps are green. So like you said, you can make your choice of what you're planning on doing with it. Uh, and then that'll help uh, camouflage it or not too. Right. Yep. And one thing I was thinking too is um, obviously if you're going to be using spruce boughs, which, you know, in North America, most of the North American forests, these are readily available year round. Um, you know, they make great insulator if you're going to put them on the ground or if you're making something like a brush pile shelter, um, you can kind of stack them on top and then put all your leaves on top of that. But yeah, the benefit of them is, is you know, if you have a campfire going um, and you hear any type of aircraft like a helicopter or whatnot, and you think that they're searching for you, you know, once they get clo close enough, you take all those spruce boughs, you throw them on the fire 
fire and it's going to make an excessive amount of smoke. Um, so obviously you can use them for insulating purposes and then if um, somebody gets close enough then just toss them on the fire and hopefully they see the smoke. Right? Yeah, green, greener the better, right? As far as the smoke goes. Greener the better, yep. Yeah, and, and it's funny because even, yeah. well, even how, no matter how green they are, they still, once they start, they go, like they, they don't stop because of all the pine pitch in there. Yeah, if your fire is hot enough, uh, it's it's quite amazing how much smoke it, it, it'll actually make. So having a pile, and you know, this is one of those things where, you know, once you build your shelter and you think it's big enough, like double it up. You know, if you think you've got enough insulation on it, just 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 double it up. I mean, if you think you've, you've put enough ropes, you know, just 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 put put a few more on. It's, it's not going to hurt. I mean, if you get into an event where you have enough wind or anything, you may start pulling at those ropes and breaking ropes. And the last thing you want is two, three o'clock in the morning when it's raining, you have to get out, fix your shelter. Yeah, it's no good. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. Like even uh, uh, just going into regular tent with regular camping, I usually bring extra tarp for the heavy rains that we get around here. Throw an extra tarp over it. And I tell you, uh, having that extra tarp versus just the, the supplied fly that comes to the tent, you're pretty happy to have it because... <laughs> And, you know, just just to have that extra layer. It it, uh, it makes your life a whole lot easier because uh, a lot of times these commercial tents that uh, that have these built-in flies just don't don't hold water at all. Yep, yep. So. Um, another thing I've used to when, and I guess it's kind of cheating a little bit when making like bush crap type shelters. Um, not necessarily a tarp, but like um, the vapor barrier that you buy um, for when you're building a home. Yeah. Uh, get in like i think it's three mil five mil eight mil i think um but using some of that i mean you just have a roll of it most of it i think is like what maybe 10 feet by 50 foot rolls um so if you cut yourself a 10 foot by 10 foot square that stuff that stuff is pretty thick um so i mean it's it's a real it's it's pretty cheap compared to a tarp as well so and it's see-through which is good um, and if you really want to get swanky with it during your survival situation, you always make a homemade sauna too. Let's <laughs> 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 get the hot rocks, pour some water on it, you know, have a little sweat lodge. Did you, yeah. um, I don't know if you or some of the listeners have ever seen, um, dual survival, um, the show with those two guys that were basically in a survival si- situation. Um, one of the first, and this is, I, I love this show for this re- reason. One of the first episodes they ever did was an island off the coast of Nova Scotia in the middle of no- November or December. It was very miserable. It was wet rain. It was cold. They ended up using a fallen tree um, as the backing for their shelter. And then what they did is they found a clear piece of, um, um, like, like poly, right? And they basically put that on the front. And then in, in back, I'm trying to explain this as best I can. In the back, they use a space blanket and they had the fire outside and what was happening is that the fire um the heat from the fire was radiating through the plastic and reflecting on the space blanket and anyways it was like something like minus 10 degrees celsius outside but it was like 12 degrees inside the shelter so yeah, it, it was a greenhouse basically it was, it was a greenhouse and you know the two guys were kind of and i know this was for dramatics or showmanship or whatnot but they were basically arguing saying this is some hippie bushcraft it's not going to work and all that kind of stuff and you know after an hour of the fire kind of radiating the heat into the shelter um the other guy got into shelter was like holy holy crap <laughs> it's like like 15 degrees in here this is actually quite nice right so um yeah that's just that's just one way of thinking about you know a way that you can get heat into your shelter without having to be exposed to the flames or anything like that so well it's because you're surviving doesn't mean you have to like uh you know suffer i guess yeah, you'd be thriving <laughs> that's right uh philip brings up a good point to not negate the value of having brought the hammock uh because you get lessons from all life experiences and that's true I, I know what not to do when it comes to that too right um and actually, Freya brings up a good point here as well on the show notes or on the uh, comments. 
a piece of rubber cut from your shoe will also generate a lot of smoke. Yeah, I never thought about that. Let's uh, I'll actually have to try it out. Yeah, I, I'm going to give that a try too. Like I've got a pair of crappy shoes on right now. I'm going to try them. The next time I start a fire, it's too hot to start a fire right now. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh God, it's dry here right now. It's crazy. Um, another type of shelter, and I, you know, this may not be applicable to you know your situation, depending on where you are and all kind of stuff. But um, in in most of you know Ontario and Manitoba here in Canada, um, which was considered the Canadian Shield, um, it's basically granite, right? Um, and and one of the episodes of Survivor Man with Les Stroud is he basically made a campfire on top of this big big slab rock essentially and the fire was going for a few hours and when it was time for bedtime he basically cleared that fire straight off the rock and slept on top of it and the radiating heat went through his sleeping bag and basically kept him pretty toasty most of the night so um, you know you could do that you could also think about putting hot rocks into your sleeping bag uh, for warmth at night um, or bring them into your shelter as well so just just, just some ideas, I guess. Well, it's like a thermal mass, right? I mean, it works great for the first few hours, and you want to make sure you, you're not touching the rocks after they've cooled down, so they'll start doing the opposite. They'll start sucking heat out of you, right? So yeah. Um, yeah. as long as you have it, like, radiating heat into an area that's not going to lose heat, that's that's certainly a, a bonus. Yep. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to be sleeping on a rock after it cooled down, though. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's pretty much all I had for, for a quick uh, chat on shelters, but uh, I didn't want to bore people too much. Yeah, no, and I think, um, you know, as as much as you look at, um, I mean, if you go on YouTube or any survival site, and if you look for uh, shelter cheat seats or anything, you're, you know, you're going to find a sheet with, you know, anywhere from 15 to 25 different types of shelters that you can build. Um, you know, the brush, brush pile is one that you mentioned. Um, you can make TP style shelters, you can make lean tos, um, you know, you can use, um, you know, fallen trees and all that kind of stuff. Um, really, there's, there's no end to the type of shelters you can make, but really it comes down to be able to practice that because until you actually go out there and you think it's going to take you 15 minutes to build a shelter, it's not. It's going to take you an hour, right? Oh, um, it's it's not. It, yeah. So, I mean, you, you look at a shelter and it's like it's two branches, a couple more branches on it, and then some leaves, and you're like, oh, that'll take 10, 15 minutes. If you actually do it, it's going to take you half an hour, four, 45 minutes an hour. Easy, right? So, Well, site selection will take you 15 minutes. Yeah. You know I mean, and, like, collecting the material is going to take you another 15, 20 minutes or more, right? Yeah. I mean, like, just you want to make sure you're, that you're at the top of the hill so nothing is, like, leaking down into you for water. You want to make sure if you're at the top of the hill that you're not going to be exposed to too much wind. you got to find some trees that are going to support your stuff. And, yeah, it takes a while to see when you get a site selection figured out. Yeah. And then, I mean, if you're, depending on what you're looking for, so, I mean, if you, depending on what tools you have with you, if, if all you have is an, a, a knife, then cutting down, you know, any generous sized tree, I'm talking like four or five inches around with a knife, you know, you can get through it, but you're not really going to want to do that. It's going to take, it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of energy. You're probably best off looking for some fallen trees, um, any type of deadfall. Um, and then you can use your energy on, you know, cutting much smaller branches to use to put on top of your shelter. So really trying to be smart about how you're building sh the, the shelter, how much energy you're expending trying to build a shelter, um, how often you, you know, how, how, sorry, not how often, but how long you plan on being there. Again, if I'm building something at 10 o'clock at night, knowing that I'm going to bug out at first light, I'm not going to put a whole lot of effort. I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm out of the wind, out of the weather, out of the wetness, um, and that's it. I'm not going to build anything too elaborate. But if I'm going out on a trip for a week um, and this is going to be my home, I'm definitely going to spend a lot more time on it. Fair enough. All right, so we move on to the uh, podcast challenge? Sure. All right, uh, take her away. 
so we'd like to see if you can practice making at least one type of shelter. So this goes back to what we're saying. Um, look at the different types of shelters. Um, look at what's available to you for materials and just try to build a shelter. If you can, try not to use any tools. Try not to use any materials that you would have, like a tarp or anything like that. Just try to use what you have available to you, um, you know, behind your house or in the woods near you. Um, just trying to make something and, and seeing how long it takes you to make that, that, that shelter um, and how effective is it. Um, you know, if there is rain or anything, does does moisture get into the shelter? Does it protect you against wind or anything like that? Cool. Uh, upcoming events. So we have TACOM Canada 2020, which has been delayed until April 23rd to 25th, 2021. You can see details for the show at the ticket link, uh, which is in the show notes. Right on. Uh, as for myself, I just want to take a couple minutes to talk about uh, the Maple Seed Project here in Canada. So it started off with the uh, Apple Seed Project in the U.S., which was basically teaching non-shooters basic marksmanship with 22 rifles and stuff. Moved on to the Canadian version called Maple Seed, and uh, they've actually taken off in the last few years uh, thanks to a lot of efforts from the uh, people at uh, Slamfire Radio and some other people. But uh, moving along, there's actually a bunch of Maple Seed events going on now that are like uh, COVID-friendly across the country. And... Um, yeah, but you just check out mapleseed.ca and you can usually find uh, an event near you that's happening. Uh, as for myself, there's actually a Campbell River event happening on August 23rd. I was hoping to attend. It's uh, on wait list. Actually, I just found out I got the time off for work. I went to go get it, sold out, but I'm on the wait list. But um, yeah, so if you can find a Mapleseed event near you, and if not, if you're, even if you're not a shooter, they will help you out as best they can. And, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things where um, if you want an introduction or if you want to hone your already uh, uh, your skills that are already there, you know, it's, it's probably not a bad idea just to attend one of these uh, all-day events and uh, meet some like-minded people, maybe learn some new skills, some marksmanship techniques. Uh, give it a try. It's, it's an all-volunteer event. It's not, not for profit. It's just basically a, a good way to uh, yeah, learn a basic skill or a better skill. Awesome. So, yeah, check out mapleseed.ca. Um, Shoutouts. Got anybody? Uh, no, uh, I don't have any. All right. Uh, quick note for the listeners. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, we've had we just hit 100,000 downloads, which is a pretty big event for us. Uh, we're pretty happy with that. I mean, we're not at the event of like a PewDiePie or anything, but hey, <laughs> I, I like to think we have a higher quality listener audience than, than PewDiePie. So. Oh, hey. so. Yeah, so uh, Eric's not here today. He was actually just uh, out uh, camping, so he just got back like two minutes before the show started so you didn't have time to get on, on board but uh so no email or itunes reviews right now uh so that's pretty much it for tonight so i'm going to bring episode 78 of the canadian Prepper podcast to an end you can find the podcast on itunes podbean spotify or your favorite podcast app please help us out and submit a review it helps other people find us and we record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube, ch to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click on the notifications tab. Uh, for myself, I can be reached at hfxprepper at gmail.com or hughes at prepperpodcast.ca. And I've also got my own YouTube channel. Just search hfxprepper. And yes, Ian, I know I'm going to make more videos. <laughs> Especially before, you roast, before you roast me, I know. <laughs> I want to see the RVs with the videos big time. Oh, I know. I've got to get around to it. Um, we're just camping every weekend, so... <laughs> Actually, and one thing I think it's kind of slack or lacking on the internet for like a solid preparedness perspective is like the uh, augmenting the batteries and stuff with solar and everything else. It's just it doesn't seem to be like covered that well. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at the at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast on iTunes and YouTube. We record on Monday nights, uh, same time at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. There you can find us discussing why government waste in the society makes you want to build my own shelter and hide in the woods. 
So please check out rapidsurvival.com and get us there on uh, the live chat while buying some uh, uh, pepper beer. You can also email Eric uh, or any of us at feedback at pepperpodcast.ca. So thanks for joining us tonight, guys. Uh, until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning.